guys okay with that? Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you for who you are. And Lord, thank you for such a, a precious, amazing time of worship and how it just draws us closer to you and prepares our heart to receive your word, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for all that you do in us and through us, Lord Jesus, and, and for us. And Father, I pray, Lord, this morning, Lord, there's a lot going on here at Cry Out, and just we have some folks who are in the hospital who are sick. Lord, I pray for Tony Diaz that you would have your hand upon his life and his body, and Liz Grimaldo as well, be with her, Lynn Lindbergh, be with her, and, and Daisy Sumi, Lord, that you'd be with her as well. Father, that your healing hand would touch them, and we pray that you continue to be with the doctors and nurses who care for them as well. Father, I pray this morning that, Lord, that we would understand the importance of fighting for the truth. We love you for who you are, and we thank you, Lord, because you are a good God. And, Lord, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you, not of me. I pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, Bible app, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16 is today's text. We're now in part 14 of our series, Church Life. Say Church Life. More enthusiasm, Church Life. Yeah, love it. All right. And we're going to conclude this series next week, so don't miss next week, okay? Now, before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, verses 1 through 10 of this chapter, and I gave you four points. You might remember them. The first point was the workers. Say that. The workers. That's in verses 1 and 2. And in the text, Paul's counsel for the master and slave relationship can be applied to the employer and employee relationship today. And Paul's first is writing to slaves who are Christians and their masters are unbelievers. So this is the charge to the employees who work for an unbeliever. Now, Paul doesn't say that the, their masters are worthy of respect or worthy of honor. Rather, should consider, say consider, their masters worthy of respect. In other words, treat them, regard them as though they were. Why? So that God's name, God's name, speaking of his person, his character, and his works, so that God's name and our teaching, teaching referring to the whole of Christian doctrine, may not be slandered or reviled or blasphemed. Then Paul writes, those who have believing masters are not to, not to show less respect for them because they are brothers or fellow believers. Instead, they are to serve them even better. So Paul is simply saying, if your master is a believer, don't slack off in your responsibilities. Can I get an amen? The second point was the wicked. Say the wicked. That's in verses 3 through 5, and Paul's warning Timothy about false teachers. And then what he does, he gives a description of these false teachers. They're conceited, in other words, prideful, and understand nothing. Uh, interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Third point was the wise. Say the wise. Verses 6 through 8, and one of the keys to godliness, as Paul writes, is contentment. Say contentment. And then Paul, Paul then simply reminds us that we came into this world caring nothing, wearing nothing, and owning nothing. And that as long as we have something to eat 
and something to wear, we should be good. We should be content, right? Because the wise believer understands this. The fourth point was the wealthy. Say that. Verses 9 and 10, and Paul addresses the problem that monetary or material ambition can pose in the life of a believer. That, that when you make your life all about money, all about making money, a love, this is now a love for money, then you will find yourself pierced with all kinds of sorrows. In fact, friends, Paul says, some have wandered from the faith. And you see, friends, greed will destroy you, it will deceive you, it will also disappoint you. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of today's message is Worth the Fight. Now say it like you're in a fight. Say, worth the fight. Awesome, love it. Now, though the text is clearly given to Timothy as a pastor, as a leader, the text serves as an admonition to all believers, okay? So this is for all of us. Can someone say amen? If you got it, say got it. Five points, if you're ready, say yes. Number one is flee. Say that. Flee. What to flee from? I'm going to look at that right now, but just look at verse 11a. When I say verse 11a, the a refers to the first part of that verse. Paul says, but you, man of God. I want to stop there. Paul calls Timothy man of God. Say man of God. And that phrase or that term is used in the Old Testament of men like Moses, Samuel, uh, King David, uh, Elijah, and Elisha. And it speaks of one in God's service, one representing God and speaking in his name. It spoke of a person entrusted, listen now, spoke of a person entrusted with a high office. Say high office. Now, in the New Testament, the phrase or the term man of God is only used twice. Once here in the text. And you see, God has placed Timothy in an important position, and he's pastoring the church. And in this context, a context, Paul referring to him as a man of God is even more important title. Why? Because it reminds him, Timothy, of his responsibility to the church. You guys with me? The phrase, the term man of God is also mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. And it says, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this is a reference, this is in reference to all believers, say all believers, not just someone in a higher important position or office. And you see, every Christian man, get this now, every Christian man should seek to be a man of God. And every Christian woman should seek to be a woman of God. Amen? Let's read on. He says, man of God, flee from all this. In the Greek, in the, Greek the word flee is fugo. Say fugo. It means to run away from. It means to shun or to escape from. It means to seek safety from, to avoid something that is abhorrent. Now notice the word flee is in the present tense. So, so you never stop fleeing from sin. Amen? There, there should be a continual fleeing, running away from sin, from evil. Uh, keep fleeing. Make it a habit. Make it a lifestyle. So, so this begs the question, friends, what, what are the things that Timothy is to flee from? Now remember, context, a context, okay, is important, right? It's important. Follow me. Timothy is to flee from the things that Paul had mentioned back in verses 3 and 5 and verses 9 and 10 of this chapter. He is to flee from every aspect of foolish ungodliness that has been made manifest by false teachers and to flee from their greedy, 
manipulation of people's religious faith for financial gain. To flee, in other words, from the love of money. To completely separate himself, Timothy, separate yourself from everything and anything that describes, designates, or defines false teachers and teachings and greed. And you see, Timothy is to flee from these things because in contrast to the false teachers, Timothy is a man of God. You guys got that? Therefore, he cannot, see, he, he cannot be seen flirting with the same evils that he's supposed to be standing against. So you ready for the lesson? Flee from sin. That's the lesson. Everyone say that. Flee from sin. And if you read the New Testament and you know about Paul's writings, Paul constantly admonishes believers, say believers, to make a practice of fleeing from sin. Make it a lifestyle of fleeing from sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. We are to flee from sexual immorality. We are to flee from idolatry. We are to flee from youthful lust. And in the text, in this chapter, right, we learn that flee from what? False doctrine and from greed. If you got it, say got it. Listen, fleeing, and got to get this, fleeing is what saved Joseph from Potiphar's wife. Not fleeing is what killed Samson. You guys with me? Listen, one of the bravest things to do in the Christian life is run away. Just run away, man. Just run. Run like the wind. Okay, run away from evil. As Christians, we cannot be seen. Listen now, Christians. We cannot be seen flirting with the same evils that we're supposed to be standing against. Amen? Say flee. Number two is follow. Say that. Follow. Write that down. Paul already said what to flee from, right? And now he says what to follow after. You run away from that, okay? You run away from that, and you run after this. Got it? Right? You don't just put off. You put off to put something on. Are are you guys with me? Verse 11b, then he says this, and pursue, say, say pursue, okay, pursue, it, it means to chase after, follow hard after something with the idea of taking hold of it. It carries the idea of what police officers call hot pursuit, say hot pursuit. It's also in the present tense, which indicates this is a continual pursuit. It's a continual chase. Right? So, so Paul offers Timothy six Christian virtues that both men and women of God are to pursue. Now, these virtues, friends, these virtues are not often valued in today's culture. They're not. And we're going to go through them right now. But they are very valuable to God. Amen? If you're safe, say amen. There should always be an energetic, listen now, energetic pursuit of these virtues. Got it? Six of them. Are you ready? He breaks it down. He says, pursue righteousness. Say righteousness. The man, the woman of God, pursues, chases, goes after righteousness. Amen? And it's having righteousness, is having a right heart toward God, which results 
in right actions towards God. It also involves living rightly towards others. And by the way, friends, being right with God, get this now, being right with God should always lead to right actions and right attitudes towards others. Vertical relationship with God, our vertical relationship with God should always impact our horizontal relationships. Amen? So being right with God is important because we need to be right with others. Say righteousness. Then he says pursue godliness. Say that. Godliness is simply Christ-likeness. Be Christ-like. It speaks of a devoted life and of a person's attitudes and motives. It speaks of a reverence, a deep reverence for God that flows out of a devoted, worship-filled heart, a devoted, worship-filled life. Amen? That others can see a Christ-likeness, a godliness in your life. Then he says, pursue faith. Say faith. In other words, a, a confident trust in God for everything. It's an unwavering confidence in his person, in his power, in his purpose, in his plan, in his provision, and in his promises. It's an unbending, unwavering trust in God and his word. You guys with me? Listen now, listen now. Trust in him, say that. Trust in him even when there isn't necessarily tangible evidence that he's working. On New Year's Eve, I was hanging out with some of my friends and we were just having conversation, just casual conversation, talking about God and church and stuff like that. And someone brought up, you know, New Year's re resolution. You know, what's your New Year's, New Year's resolution? And, and um, in our conversation, Kelly said, you know, instead of a New Year's resolution, pick one word for the year. And, and I, 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 just, I just thought about that. I said, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And I, I actually, I went home and I was thinking about that. I was pondering on that. What is the one word that, that I'm going to pick for the new year? And I kid you not, I went to bed thinking about it. And, and I got up and uh, I told my wife, I said, babe, um, my word for the new year is trust. Say trust. That I would pursue an ever-deepening trust in God. That, that, that I would live a lifestyle, a lifestyle of, of trusting him. And trusting him even when there isn't necessarily tangible evidence that he's working. And I know there are times in our lives where, you know, we just don't sense that God's working in our lives. Like he's not there, but he is. And we got to trust him. He's doing something on our behalf. He's working behind the scenes. So just trust him. And I want to develop a lifestyle of trusting him in everything. Amen. So what's your word? Ah, what's your word? Then he says, love. Say love. Pursue love. Pursue love. In other words, an unrestricted or unrestrained, excuse me, love for God, for believers, and for the lost. Listen, listen. It's not just loving those who are lovely. Okay? It's not just loving those who are easy to love. It's easy to love those who are easy to love. Right? 
But it's loving the unlovely. Don't look at them this morning. Are you with me? Okay. It's loving those who are difficult to love. Right? I mean, that's, that's pursuing love. And there are some folks in your family, there are some folks at your job, there's some folks in your life that are difficult to love. But we are to pursue love and love them, amen? In fact, you know what? Love is the first manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. There you go, amen? He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love. Five is endurance. Your Bibles might render it as patience. It's being patient in difficulty. And what it does, it carries the idea of sticking to it when the going gets tough. Are you guys with me? It's a faithful persistence over a long period of time. Let me put it this way. This is the opposite of giving up. You guys get that? The opposite of giving up. So hold on. I get it. Life is tough. I get it. Things don't always go our way. I get it. But we must, friends, not give up. Hold on, amen? Then he says, gentleness, gentleness. In other words, strength under control. Okay, one, one not easily upset. Gentleness, friends, refers to our response to difficult people. Amen? Not harsh, not overbearing. Instead of responding in anger with impatience, we seek to respond in a gentle, tender manner. Amen? So are we pursuing these things? Are we as believers, we're talking about believers, are we pursuing, are we following, are we chasing after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness? Are these Christian virtues evident in our lives? Say flee. Say follow. Number three is fight. Say fight. What to fight for. Look at verse 12a with me. What to fight for. Fight the good fight of the faith. It's a good fight. Everyone say it's a good fight. But that doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> right? It's a good fight. doesn't mean it's an easy fight because living for God, living and standing for the truth in a world that is against God, a world that's against truth, right? It won't be easy. It won't be easy. You see, the man, the woman of God is not only known for what they flee and pursue, but also what they fight for. Amen? And Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. What's he referring to? What's he referring to? Okay, he's referring to the doctrine of faith. You fight for the truth. The truth of God's word. You fight and you stand and defend the truth. In the Greek, the word fight, say fight. Is agonizomai. Say that, agonizomai. That's where we get our English word agony from. And it means struggle or contest. It means compete for a prize. Labor, labor with, with all you've got. Strive, fight to the end. It's also in the present tense, which means this fighting is ongoing. Amen? Listen, there, there's always a pain and always Agony that comes with fighting a battle, right? However, however, this fight is good. And it's good because of what we're fighting for. We're fighting to stand for and to defend the truth. Now, if you're safe, say amen. 
when you got saved, listen now, you automatically became a member of God's armed forces. Amen? So this puts you in the position of coming under spiritual attack. You're in a war now. You're fighting a battle, right? So be prepared for the, the battle. And I want to say this. Timothy was living in hostile times, just like today. The church, the pillar and support of the truth was under attack, just like today. The truth of the gospel was being assaulted, just like today. And it was and is not the time to relax. It never is. Say it never is. Get this. The Christian life is a blessing. Say it's a blessing. We know it's a blessing, but it's also a battle. It's a battle. And this is why the church, or the, excuse me, the Christian life, this is why the Christian life is not for the faint-hearted. It's, it's not for sissy lalas, okay? All right, you guys got that? I want to point something out. This is, this is the fact that Paul, well, Paul, what he's simply telling Timothy is this. Timothy's not to let up. He, he's not to, to relax. And he's urging Timothy not to become weary, not to become discouraged, and not to give up on the fight. Timothy, fight for the truth. Defend the truth. Amen? So I want to point this out. The fact that Paul encourages Timothy to fight the good fight implies that it's possible not to fight well or not to fight at all. Are you guys with me? And sadly, this is the reality for many Christians. And some get caught in sin, okay, caught in sin and stop advancing. Some fall in love with the world and the things of this world and become spiritually, spiritually lethargic. Some by encountering some difficulty in their life get discouraged and want to give up. And so they stop fighting the good fight. Yeah, it's a tough fight, but guess what? We can't quit. Amen? So you ready for the lesson? Fight for the truth. Through this whole epistle, 1 Timothy, we talk about doctrine. We talk about truth. Amen? We talk about the word of God. And so we as believers, we need to stand for the truth. We need to speak, right, the truth. Hey, Christianity is under attack. I need more than one witness. Christianity is under attack. Amen? Amen? And I'll tell you why it's under attack. Why? Because truth exposes sin. And they don't want to hear truth. Right? So we will be, as believers, under attack. But we got to fight the good fight. And we just stand and speak the truth of God's word. Amen? Fight for the truth, Christians. Fight for it. Fight for it. Amen? Say flee. Say follow. Say fight for his future. Say that. Future. Write that down. Future. What to hold on to? What to hold on to? Verse 12b. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I love that. When you made your good Confession, love that, in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold means act upon yourself to grasp or to seize. Take hold of what? Take hold of the eternal life. 
You see, what encourages us in the battle, listen now, what encourages us in the battle is that we have eternal life. So hold on to that. Now, Paul's not commanding Timothy nor us to get saved again, okay? It's not what he's saying, right? He's commanding Timothy and all believers to grasp the reality of eternal life. What Paul wants us, and Paul wants all believers to live in light of eternity. That's his point. And he means to get a grip on eternal kind of living, to, to grab it for all it's worth, to grip tightly to, to a focus on things that really matter for eternity. Grab hold of eternal things. Focus, love this, focus on the prize. The battle's tough, focus on the prize. Amen? And follow me, false teachers live for today, right? To gain all they can get in this world now, today. While true Christians serve Jesus in order to invest all they can into eternity. You guys see the contrast? Back to the text. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, say called, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Called, called. That's the sovereign call to salvation. God called us to salvation. Amen? Timothy was called, genuinely saved. He, he made that confession before other believers and other people. Okay? And this is a reference to Timothy's profession of faith. So, so what did Timothy confess? Well, the same confession that you and I made when we got saved. The same confession that Juan and Desiree made in the second service when they came forward to get saved. Romans 10.9, right? We know this, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, not might, you will be saved. That's the confession. Back to the text. I want to point something out. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. Say good confession. Listen now what he says. In the presence of many witnesses. I want to say this. If the people closest to you don't know that you're a Christian, then maybe you're, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Listen, the early church, if you read about the early church, the early church knew nothing, nothing about Christians who lived a quiet faith in complete isolation. They were never silent about their faith. Amen? They made a public confession of faith and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. So get this, and I've said this many times, our faith in Christ is personal, yes, but it's not private. You don't keep it to yourself. Amen? So question, can those around us see the presence, the presence of true salvation in our lives? The presence of eternal life in our lives? Do, listen now, do, do we live up to our profession of faith? That they're not surprised that you're a believer. When you tell them, yeah, I'm a believer. Well, I didn't, you know, yeah, I can tell. Or is it, Really? Timothy was called by God to eternal life, and all believers, say all believers, are called by God to eternal life. So we need to live that way and serve that way because eternity matters. 
Ready for the lesson? Live in the presence. Okay? Presence. Should be living in the present with eternity in mind. Live in the present with eternity in mind. In other words, be future-minded. Amen? Live with an, an eternal perspective. Focus on the eternal because that's what lasts forever. Hey, you know, whenever you're going through a hard time, whenever you feel the battle's tough, okay, remind yourself, you got eternal life. Okay, one day it's going to get better. Amen? So live in the present with eternity in mind. I'm going to do what I can do in the presence of God, right? I'm going to do all I can do in my Christian faith. At the same time, I have future, my future in mind. Amen? Say flee. Say follow. Say fight. Say future. Five is faithful. Amen? What to be faithful to? Verses 13 and 14. In the sight of God. The King James renders it like this. I charge you in the presence of God. Paul's like, Timothy, I'm charging you knowing God is fully present with you right now as I write this to you. Fully present. Right? God, as I write this to you, right? The presence of God is here. The one who is omnipresent is here everywhere at all times. Let's read on. In the sight of God, or I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to everything. This ever-present God is the one who is in charge of all life, giving life continually and currently preserving life. He's a giver, say giver, and sustainer, say sustainer, of life. Therefore, Timothy and all Christians have nothing to fear. Amen? So be strong and remain faithful because God is ever-present in our lives. And not only that, but God is in charge of life. Amen? Let's read on. And of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I want to stop there. Even Jesus made a good confession before Pilate about the truth of who he was. Pilate was an enemy of the truth. Yet Jesus remained firm and steadfast before Pilate. What, write this down, Matthew 27, verse 11. As Jesus was before Pilate during his trial, before he was crucified. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, Pilate, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you have said so. In other words, yes, I am. I'm the king, king of the Jews. And he was standing for the truth. Amen. He testified, Jesus testified to the truth. And you see that there's a, there's a parallel between the confession Timothy gave as a believer in Christ and Christ giving his testimony, confessing himself as a Messiah and king before Pilate. And I believe Paul is encouraging Timothy to remain faithful to the end, even to death, because Jesus was faithful to the end. Amen? Let's read on. I charge you. There's that word again. Okay? I charge you. Listen up, Timothy. Paul makes it clear. Paul makes clear the charge he's giving to Timothy and all believers for that matter. Here's a charge. To keep this command or commandment 
without spot or blame. Do you guys get that? I want to stop there. The command is for him, Timothy, to teach the message of the gospel, to teach the truth properly, to teach the entirety, entirety of the doctrine of Christian faith. It is to be given without compromise as you teach it in its fullness because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be protected and kept from anything that will stain it or bring reproach on it. He's saying, Timothy, it must be free of anything that will cause distraction from its life-giving and life-transforming message. So how do you keep the word of God unstained or from reproach? I'll tell you how. Don't add to it. Don't add your own opinion to it or philosophy to it. Right? Another way that you keep the word unstained and from reproach is obey it. Obey it. Amen? You're giving proof to the word of God when you live by the word of God. If you're safe, say amen. So be faithful. Stay faithful to your confession. Stay faithful to the command. Let's read on. Stay faithful until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This encourages Timothy and us as well to hold fast to the very end, looking unto Jesus. In other words, remain faithful, man. Remain faithful until Jesus comes back. Amen? But until that time, we are to continue to uh, what? On contending for the faith, fighting the good fight. Continue to do that, right? Continue to stay faithful. Ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. There is relief coming. There is relief coming. You see, there is an end point. Now, you got to get this. We're in a fight, right? We're in a battle, right? Right? But there is an end point to the fight. There's an end point to the battle that we're in. There's an end point to the sin that we struggle with daily. Some say he been to that. That fight, that struggle, that battle will end when Jesus Christ comes back. So Timothy's saying, take heart. Take heart. Okay? God has not put us into a never-ending battle. Then Paul says, look at verse 15a, which God will bring. Speaking of the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. Not my time, not your time, in his own time. And Paul reminds Timothy and all believers at the proper time, say proper time, Jesus will come back. Amen? He, he has gone away for a while, okay? But he's coming back again. Say that. Say he's coming back again. So here's a lesson, right? Here's a lesson. Live in light of his coming. Very practical, but profound. Live in light of his coming. As believers, listen now, as believers, we should be living our daily lives as if Jesus were coming back today. <laughs> you guys with me? All right? The return of Jesus should motivate us to live for him, to live a godly life as we wait for his return. Verses 15b to verse 16. And hear what Paul does. I love this. Paul closes with a doxology. And what Paul does, just all this, he just breaks into, breaks out in a hymn of praise. Amen. He just can't help but want to worship 
the living God. Amen? So he says, God the blessed. I want to stop there. The word blessed, say blessed, is happy. It means happy. Happy are those. Amen? Happy are those. So, so God is a happy God. <laughs> Some of you, come on. God is a happy God. Amen? Aren't you glad that God is a happy God? Right? Amen? I mean, do you want to spend eternity with, with, a, with an unhappy God? I don't. Amen? So God the blessed, a happy God. Amen? God the blessed. And only ruler. Only ruler. The king of kings. And say it. Lord of lords. Amen? God is not only a happy God, and he is a happy God, right? But he's also a sovereign ruler, the sovereign ruler, and power over all other rulers and over all authorities. Amen? And power. He has ultimate power and authority over everything because he is the king of kings. Come on. And what? Lord of lords. Verse 16. Who alone is immortal. Why did Paul say who alone is immortal? I'll tell you why. Because the Romans viewed Caesar as immortal. So Paul emphasizes only God is inherently immortal and eternal. In other words, only God always is. I don't know if that's proper English, but anyways, amen? Right? Right? Amen? Only God always is. Say that. Only God always is. Okay? God is literally deathless. He has an unending quality of life and is incapable of dying. Don't you praise him that he's a living, all-living God and never dies? Who alone is immortal, let's read on, and who lives in unapproachable, unapproachable light. That speaks of God's holiness. Say God's holiness. Our God is a consuming fire, right? A blazing light of, of holiness. Totally separate from sin. Don't forget that, friends. Our God is totally separate from sin. So, and who lives in an unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. So his glory, say his glory, is too amazing for the physical eye to behold and for our body to endure. But one day, say that, but one day we will see him as he is. Come on, come on, praise him, amen. And we will have, listen now, friends, the glorious privilege to look upon the glory of the one who secured our redemption. See, only in our glorified bodies are we suited to dwell in the presence of the almighty, everlasting God. Amen? Then Paul concludes his doxology to him, to God, to him, be honor. And might or power forever. Then he says, Amen, which means so be it. I agree. Ready for the lesson? We're almost done here. He is worthy of our praise. Amen. I'm going to say it one more time. He is worthy of our praise. Amen. He is. He is. He is worthy of our praise. We will one day, say one day, gather around the throne eternal and worship him. That blows me away. I am so looking forward to that. Amen? That we will gather there around him in the throne eternal and worship him, our Lord and King, for all of eternity. And you know what this should do? This should move us 
to our knees. This should move us to fall on our faces in profound worship, declaring how amazing, how awesome, how great, how worthy our God is. And that He is the one and the only one who deserves all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. Amen? No one, no one but Him and Him alone. And you see, to know Him as our Savior and to know Him as our Lord and to consider all that He is and all that He has done and all that He will continue to do should move us deeply to walk and live in a way that pleases Him. Should move us deeply to serve Him without question and to be faithful to Him and to demonstrate in our lives, friends, the fact that He deserves all the honor and all the power and all the glory and all the praise. So let's wrap this up with questions. All that's been said. Question. What things in your life do you need to flee from? What are the things in your life that you need to flee from? Things that are holding you back from walking the life. Question. What things are you pursuing, following, chasing after Right now. Huh? Question. Are you fighting for? Are you standing for the truth? Or do you wimp out? Question. Are you actively taking hold of eternal life? Huh? Question. Are you faithful to your confession and his command? Question, are you living in a way that demonstrates in your life the fact that God does deserve all the honor, all the glory, the power, and the praise? And I pray to God that we can say yes. This fight we're in is worth the fight. Because God himself is worth it all. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you.